You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Near the end of summer, so some of you have been with us, but some of you may not have been with us for different reasons, travel or being out of town. But over these last few weeks, just to kind of catch you up, We've been digging deep and getting behind our English translation of core words of the Christian and Jewish faith. And if you've been with us, even if for part of it, let alone the whole, it really has been a surprising and I also think an insightful journey exploring the meaning of these words in their original languages of Hebrew and Greek. Because consistently what we've discovered is our modern rendering of these words, these concepts, pales in comparison to what the Bible is actually seeking to reveal to us. Now, as we've been going through this sermon series this summer, the primary scripture that's been um, focusing our, where we've been pulling these words out of to dive deep, is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which you're open to, which is also known as the Shema. It was actually also our call to worship and has been. So we haven't read it out loud in a while, so I'm going to read it to you, and I invite you just to take in the words of Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, and I'm actually going to start reading in verse 1. It reads, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This text that we've read several times is a core passage to both Jews and Christians in terms of what they believe and understand about who God is and how we are to be in relationship with God. These words were given by Moses to the people of Israel after they had been led out of slavery in Egypt and as they were going to begin a new life in a new land in a new relationship and understanding of this God, Yahweh, who had rescued them. To this point, as you'll see on the screen, we've been studying the following words from this text. The very first word we started with is what, where the name of this passage comes from, the word Shema, which roughly translates hear or listen. But as we've learned, in Hebrew, Shema reminds us that listening is inseparable from doing. The next word that we looked at in this series was the word Yahweh, which if you, can, if you look at the screen, you'll see that come up. We translate that as Lord. And Yahweh, we've come to appreciate as God's given, his own given personal name. To know the name of God is to be able to call upon, to recognize, and to represent our creator who is at work in and through our lives. Then we looked at the word Ahava, love. 
Its Greek parallel is the word agape. There are many different words for love in the Bible, but it is ahava, it is agape, that expresses the kind of love for which we both long and hope to give and receive. Unconditional, committed, and selfless love. We got a little bit deeper into the Shema and we looked at the word lev, the Hebrew word lev, which we refer to as the heart. We translate it as the heart, but in Hebrew, the heart is the epicenter not only of our emotions we've learned, but also our thoughts, our ideas, as well as our desires and our will. And last week, we looked at the Hebrew word nefesh, and this was an interesting one for many of us. Nefesh is a word we loosely translate as soul, but as we found out last week, it has nothing to do with some immaterial, immortal part of us that is released when we die. Rather, nefesh in Hebrew speaks to the entirety of our life and being. Nefesh means the whole of our person as a person, including the body. We learned last week we don't have a soul We are soul. And so today, as we continue in the Shema, we come to the third word in this chain of love in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. We come to, we come to, we've heard, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and following heart and soul, the third word through which we are called to love the Lord is this word we translate as strength or might. This is the English translation of the original Hebrew word used here, which is ma'od. Can you say that? Ma'od. Ma'od, we translate as strength or might. Love the Lord your God with all your strength or with all your might. Now, ma'od is a very common biblical word. You'll find it all over the Hebrew scriptures. It's perhaps the most wide and expansive word that we actually find here in the Shema. But interestingly, this is the only time in all of scripture that ma'od is ever translated as strength. In fact, if you keep your eyes on the screen, the actual Hebrew word for strength is not ma'od, it's koach, koach, not ma'od. What's also fascinating for you you to discover is that ma'od is rarely ever used in the form of a noun as it is here in the Shema. Now, I'm going to give you the literal translation, a little quiz for you, but based upon the literal translation, let's see if you can tell what kind of word ma'od actually is. So, The most popular and basic translation of ma'od, the basic meaning of ma'od, is this. Very or much. What kind of words are very or much? Does anyone remember? Say it again. Adverbs. That is correct. Gold star for all of you who said adverbs. And if you don't remember what are adverbs, adverbs are words that describe or modify a verb, an adjective, or another adverb. To express this more simply for those of you who are not geeking out right now over, you know, parts of speech, okay? To express this more simply, an adverb is used to come alongside other words to augment their meaning, to augment the meaning of those other words. And that's exactly what ma'od does here. Ma'od is used as a noun in our translation, but it's actually an adverb. So the literal line should read like this. Love the Lord your God with all your lev, with all your heart, with all your nefesh, your life and your being, and with all your very, or with all your much. And of course, this translation doesn't make any sense to us at all, right? So to better appreciate what ma'od means here in this passage, let's go through a few examples of how this word ma'od is used elsewhere in the Bible. So, 
in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, you remember of God, speaking of God speaking creation into being. The Lord fashions a universe out of nothing and fills it with beautifully intricate and wondrous diverse forms of life. All this against the backdrop of the sun, the stars, and in the midst of weather patterns and the rhythm of the seasons. And you remember as Genesis describes this, with layer upon layer of creation, we're told Yahweh called his creation good. Several times this was Yahweh's declaration, it was good. But at the climax of it all, when creation was finished, Yahweh, it is recorded, announced it was ma'od good. It was very good. Go a couple chapters later, things get a little bit darker, and there's two brothers, you might remember them, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, whose approach to their relationship with Yahweh is decidedly different. Abel's offering in this story is welcomed by Yahweh. Cain's offering, on the other hand, is not. And when we're told that Cain was angry that his offering wasn't accepted, we're not told that he was angry. In fact, what it says is Cain was ma'od angry. He was very angry. Sometime after this in Genesis, we hear the story of Noah, just to give you a different context for this word, and the, the story of Noah and this global flood. Well, the scriptures record when the rains finally came, and as the flood waters kept rising, they ma'od increased. That is, the waters of the flood increased greatly on the earth. Those waters became ma'od powerful, very powerful. Jump way ahead. Way ahead to the book of Samuel, and if you don't remember where we are in the biblical story in the book of Samuel, the very beginning, the people have been crying out. They want a king of their own. They don't recognize God as their king. They want to be like everybody else, and they want to have a king. And so finally, when God gives them what they want, when Saul becomes the first king of Israel, it's recorded that both Saul and the people of Israel became mowed happy. Most English Bible translations put it this way. They rejoiced greatly. Interesting thing about this word ma'od, fascinating thing, is that in Hebrew, it actually has the capacity to take things up a notch even more. There are several examples in the Bible where the writer looks to increase the force or meaning of a word to its total capacity, to pump it up all the way, as it were. To do this, they wouldn't just use one ma'od, they would double up the usage of ma'od. Here's two quick examples. Jacob back in the book of Genesis, goes through a lot of struggles and challenges. But Jacob comes out the other side, and the guy is loaded with camel, with camels and with cattle and with servants. And the, the scriptures describe him as being ma'od, ma'od wealthy. And what they're trying to tell us is Jacob wasn't your average very rich guy. Jacob was super wealthy. When the spies are sent out by Moses to go check out the promised land of Canaan and see what they find, and they come back and they give their report, and they come back with this report of a country filled with a sizable bounty of trees, fruits, and vegetables bigger than the eyes can see, they exclaim, it's ma'od, ma'od good. It's really, really good. So, from these brief examples, I think you're kind of getting the flavor of how ma'od functions. And it's pretty clear that ma'od equates to so much more than strength or might, our physical energy or even our spiritual abs, if you were. The most pop, this popular Hebrew word that means very or much, it's really about an intensifying factor. The logic, if you will, behind translating ma'od as strength, why do we translate it then as strength? The logic behind that translation rests in ma'od intensifies or makes stronger the meaning of the words it's placed alongside with. So, loving the Lord your God with all your ma'od is to be devoted to Yahweh exceedingly, richly, 
lavishly, earnestly, enthusiastically, with all our oomph, with everything we've got. I don't know if you're a fan of the Rocky movies. Anybody a fan of the Rocky movies here? Yeah? Okay, I'm a confessed fan. And if you're not at all familiar with the Rocky movies, the Rocky movies are the story of a prize fighter who time and again beats the odds and is victorious. And one of the greatest scenes in this series is near the end of the fourth film where Rocky is waiting, is walking back into the ring for the final round of what has been a prolonged struggle. Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion as he's known, has been been getting pummeled by the Russian champ Ivan Drago for most of the fight. But then suddenly it looks like Rocky might actually pull a victory out of this contest. And by the way, if you've seen one Rocky film, you've seen them all because this happens every single time. Right? Every single time. <laughs> Sorry. Spoiler alert. Okay. I didn't t- I'm not telling you the end. I'm just going to tell you this part, though. This time, though, right before Rocky goes out to the center of the ring for the final round, the camera zooms in on Duke, and Duke is one of his trainers who's furiously trying to keep him focused, to energize him for what comes next. And in this scene, Luke tells him, there's no stopping now. You start and you don't stop. you got to give all your strength, all your power, all your love, everything you got. This is your whole life here. Duke, Duke is calling Rocky to put it all on the line. Not various components of his being, not just his body, not just his heart, but everything. All that Rocky is needs to be centered on this one task at this one moment. And the thing is, at its most basic level, This is what the inclusion of the word ma'od means. We are called to love, to engage and devote ourselves to our creator, our heavenly father, our redeemer and sustainer with everything we've got. Everything means all that is within us. Our lev, all our thoughts, ideas, emotions, feelings, desires and will, all our nefesh, the whole of our self, our life and physical being. But meod also implies everything we have, not just within us internally, but through our external possessions as well. Let me help flesh this out for you. Thousands of years after the Shema was written, given to Israel, thousands of years later, when the Old Testament was being translated into Greek in order to reach a changing world, ancient Jewish scholars chose the Greek word Dunamis, you'll see it up on the slide here. Dunamis, the Greek word dunamis, as the most suitable translation for ma'od. Now, dunamis in Greek means power or strength. And it means power or strength in an inherent sense. And this is where our modern translations in English of this verse and other uh, verses of it come from. They derive from this word, this translation of ma'od into dunamis. But again, as I've told you, the connotation of ma'od in the Shema is about more than eternal, internal might or strength. And you see this, interestingly, when Jesus, later in the Gospels, is asked about the most important commandment of Yahweh, and he quotes the Shema. You remember this, right? We call it the greatest commandment. He quotes the Shema, but when he quotes the Shema, I don't know if you've picked this up in this series as we've been here, when Jesus quotes the Shema, he chooses two words to unpack the meaning of ma'od. The Shema reads, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In English, you go and read Jesus quoting the Shema in the Gospels, and Jesus says in English, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your power or your strength. Why did Jesus add another word? Well, he didn't really add another word. Not to confuse you, 
But while Jesus' words in the Gospels were originally recorded in Greek, many of you know this, in actuality, and we're told this in the Gospels, Jesus didn't speak Greek. What did he speak? Aramaic. That's right. Aramaic was one of the most common languages spoken from where he came from. It was also, by the way, the closest parallel to the Hebrew language. Here's where it gets really interesting. In Aramaic, ma'od was translated as mammon, money, or as you'll see on the next slide, wealth. Ma'od in Aramaic was translated as wealth. This translation of ma'od rounds out the significance of its usage here in the Shema. And it makes sense if we think about it, too. Because life is expanded, isn't it? It's enhanced. It's enriched through our material possessions. Money and possessions are called ma'od as they serve to intensify the living experience. Our resources, our wealth, are the concrete and tangible ways that we express ourselves. Through our money, our resources, our wealth, we communicate. We express what we care about, what we love, where, where our values, our priorities, and our ultimate allegiances belong. So in this way, pushing it a bit further, ma'od also encompasses not just what's inside, but it also encompasses what I'll call our influence in the world, our outward activities. So loving the Lord with all our ma'od includes all the choices and consequences of a person's life, their relationships, their transactions, their property, their investment, their resources, and the like. If you want to keep it in the framework of this English translation, strength, if you want to keep it in the word strength, think of it this way. When we think of in terms of, in terms of a king or a ruler, the strength of a king or a ruler is in his or her army, his or her wealth, alliances, influence, and so forth. So when Jesus quotes the Shema, he uses two words to fully express the meaning of ma'od. He uses mind and he uses strength or power. Jesus moves in his teaching of the greatest commandment. He moves us from the heart to the self, the nephesh, to the inner person, the mind, to the outer person, our power, one's effect in the world and towards one's neighbor. So ma'od is this crucial word. It's this crucial word in the Shema because it clarifies what the Lord asks of us, requires of us, is all, all of me, not part of me, all of me. Maybe another way to think of this, because I'm a very visual person, is to think of these concentric circles of interest. If that's too confusing, just picture a bullseye target right now in your mind. And in that bullseye target, the deepest inside circle is our lev, our heart, the seed again of our will, our emotions, our intellect. In other words, our entire personality. The next circle is our nefesh, what we commonly translate, as you know, as soul. But as we learned, it's not the soul in opposition to the body, but instead nefesh is the full embody of our person, our whole self, the unity of flesh and blood that I call me and you call you. But there's one more circle of interest, right? The ma'od, the circle that covers all that I influence, my impact in the world. It references all that my person and my body affect through family and other relationships, wealth and possessions. It, it is the extension of who I am in the world. And so when you think of that target, that those concentric circles, rightly understood, the word ma'od is not about limiting ourselves, the expression of our love for God, to one of these circles. It's just the opposite. It's recognizing these circles are interconnected. As spheres of our devotion to the Lord, they flow from one to another, from the inside out. 
The point of ma'od in the Shema is not just one thing. It encompasses everything in a person's life, everything we are, and everything we have. Loving God with all our ma'od is the call to love Yahweh with all of our muchness, all of our very, every moment and every opportunity we have, every ability and capacity, all of our intensity and plentitude, all of the possessions we own, all the resources at our disposal, and all of our increase along the way. It totally makes sense because this is exactly what Jesus invites us into, 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 right? This is the kind of life that Jesus invites us into through his life, death, and resurrection. He invites us not just to believe in him, but again and again in the scriptures, Jesus invites us to follow him. But what does that mean? To follow him, Jesus said, is the willingness to, be, to give up everything, even to the point of losing our lives in order to find them. To hold nothing back, Jesus says, in seeking first his kingdom, and it's righteousness. Ma'od is about no limits in our relationship with the Lord. No limits. Despite this, despite the implications of ma'od, if we're honest, most of us tend to put restrictions up when it comes to following Jesus, right? More often than not, despite what we sing, no matter what we pray, We're fixated, we're preoccupied with what's off limits in terms of our relationship with Christ. I'll give you this part of me, Jesus, but I'm holding on to this part of who I am. You can have most of my life, Jesus, but I'm not gonna let go. I can't let go of this aspect of how I live. Sometimes it's a conscious, willful choice. Sometimes it's an unconscious decision rooted in our fear or our worry but we're all well-practiced at negotiating with God, right? Bargaining with Jesus, debating the leading of the Spirit as to what part of ourselves we should relinquish, what part of our stuff we ought to have final say over. It can be a particular relationship. We insist on trying to control. No, you don't understand. I've got to be in charge of this. I've got to have control over him or her. I've I've got to take point here. It can be a specific decision or choice we're convinced is ours alone to make. No, I've got to make, I, I, I thank you for your opinion, Lord, but I've got to make the call on this one. It can be a certain thought or feeling we persist in indulging. It can be a section of our influence, an aspect of our time, a measure of our talent, a portion of our resources that we declare is ours alone and not available or employable by the Lord. You want to know how you can begin to recognize the parts of your relationship with Jesus that are fragmented? You know how you can realize when we're putting up limits as to where and how and when and to whom the Lord can call us and work through us? It's real easy. You can tell when you start talking in terms of ownership. When we begin speaking first to ourselves, because that's how it starts, we start talking to ourselves, and then we start talking to others using the word mine, not yours. This is my time. This is my idea. This is my plan. This is my goal. This is my money. This is my house. This is my body. This is my stuff. This is my life. Now, I'm not suggesting here that we can't 
or we shouldn't set healthy boundaries when it comes to our relationship with other people, fellow human beings like us. We need to set boundaries, and we should set boundaries in order to protect and properly care for ourselves because we can often, and we do, cross the line. We have to do this to protect and properly care for ourselves with each other, and we need to respect such boundaries for others as a way of honoring their need to be protected and cared for. But what I'm saying is when it comes to our relationship with Yahweh, our creator, there are no such boundaries. There are no such limits. All that we are, all that we have is God-given. You know that, right? You believe that. It's graciously provided to us for our benefit and blessing indeed, but also for his glory, for his purposes to benefit and bless the world. And here's the thing, unlike every other relationship we have, unlike every other relationship we have, we don't have to worry about Yahweh giving us more than he's enabled us to handle or manage. The Lord always provides everything we need, not just for ourselves, but also for the sake of serving others. Unlike every other relationship we have, we don't have to be afraid that Yahweh is going to suck us dry and leave us empty. The Lord declares that he desires for us to be eternally filled with his love, his peace, and his joy. In God's economy, we taste and grow such fruit in our lives, not by stocking up and hoarding what we have been provided with. In God's economy, we taste and grow such fruit in our lives by giving it away. We thrive. We flourish. We are blessed by being a blessing to others. So ask yourself this morning, in the silence of your heart, whose life is it anyway? Is it yours or is it his? We say, I've given my life to Christ, but have we? Have we? Does the life you've been given belong to Jesus or is it your life? My life to live on my terms. Does Jesus have all of you or are there parts of you, parts of your life that are off limits? Now, I want to give us a bit of a word of encouragement because we often hear these things in immediate time. But here's the thing. When we embrace not just the forgiveness Christ offers us, because again, forgiveness is only the beginning of the gospel, but when we embrace not just the forgiveness Christ offers us, but we receive the grace he extends to us, the grace, the power, his power at work in us to be changed, to become all that we can be, This isn't some snap of the fingers, instantaneous change. Like, that's it, I'm done. I know Jesus, I'm a new man. New person, completely different. Old Chris is a thing of the past. You're looking at Chris 2.0. No. The Bible's clear about this. And reality, the practical aspect of it, that kind of transformation that the Lord promises us, assures us through the power of his spirit, the authority and power of his spirit at work in us in becoming all we were meant to, be, be, to become is a work in progress. Think of it this way. It takes time to be made ready for eternity. 
It takes time to clear away all the old, former thoughts, dispositions, presumptions, prejudices, choices, habits, all those finite ways of being. It takes time to be made ready for eternity. And that time begins now. I don't know about you. I don't. I know about me, but I don't know about you. And for me, as I get out of my own way, (laughs) you know, as I I get out of my own way and yield to the Lord's gracious work of changing me, day by day, as the layers of dead wood get pulled back in my character, you know, in my person, in my life, as the Holy Spirit delves deeper into those circles we just talked about, those circles of me, and I confront those parts of myself that I'm still trying to control instead of lovingly offering them to the Lord, it always comes back to the same theme with me. It always comes back to the same theme. Different chorus, different verse, same chorus. I tell myself in those moments of clarity, I tell myself in those moments of revelation, I tell myself, I believe it, I am following Jesus. But once again, There it is in this one area of my life, this relationship, this possession. I'm not. I'm not following Jesus. In this one part of my life, this attitude, this decision, I'm not following Jesus. I'm telling Jesus to follow me. I'm telling Jesus to follow me. Jesus is calling me to let go of this one thing, but I'm continuing to seal off this portion of myself by insisting this is mine, not yours. My friends, there's a difference, and it's a huge difference between declaring, I have faith in God. I've given my life to Christ. There's a huge difference between saying that. Stephen's saying, I follow Jesus, and acknowledging, confessing, and then repenting, turning around, and letting go of where I'm holding back, what I'm holding on to, where I'm refusing to let go and give it to the Lord. See, here it is, and it's, it's, this, it's this deep, but also this simple. When we follow Jesus, I'm not talking about it. I mean, when we follow Jesus, when we yield to the power and authority of the Holy Spirit at work in us, when we follow Jesus, we are changed gradually, but profoundly. We are changed by his lead, his direction, his wisdom, his instruction, his call. When we follow Jesus, we are transformed and we begin to look and sound a lot like him. Discipleship is answering the question, how would Jesus live your life? If Jesus lived your life, how would he live it? When we follow Jesus, we are transformed gradually but profoundly and we begin to sound and look a lot like him. But when we tell Jesus to follow us, When we tell Jesus to follow us, Christ ends up looking and sounding a lot like me. A lot like me. Maod is about going all in with Jesus. Now, I'm not advocating gambling this morning, but when you play poker, and I hope I don't lose my job for this, and as your pastor, I've been known to dabble in a little poker. If you're not familiar with the game, When it comes to poker, there's one general rule of thumb. When you look around the table and you believe you've got the best hand, you push all your chips into the center of the table and go all in. 
You don't fold. You don't bluff. You don't hedge your bet. You take every last chip you've got and you put it all behind that hand. You go all in. This is what Ma'od in the Shema calls us to do. It's what Jesus asks every follower of his to do with his or her life. Go all in. Jesus, in fact, tells a parable, a story about a man. Remember this story? who's plowing a field and finds this treasure. And that treasure, Jesus said, was like the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes on to describe how this same man sold everything he had to buy that field and get that treasure, to live in and out of Yahweh's loving, gracious, and eternal reign. In other words, he went all in. How about us? Are we ma'od, ma'od? Are we all in with Christ? What areas of your life, relationships, possessions, areas of influence, have you made off limits to Jesus' reign to be used by Christ for your benefit and for the sake of others? With what parts of yourself, what thoughts, what attitudes, what choices, what decisions are you hedging your bets or trying to bluff Jesus? Good luck with that, by the way. Or are you just preparing to fold, waiting to cast your chips in? Beloved, let us quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. We were designed for more than that. We were designed for more than playing it safe, just folding the hand with which we, what we've been dealt. Thanks to Jesus, do you know this, right? Do you believe it? We've been given the best hand, a winning combination where the Lord takes all that he has provided for us, all that we are and all that we have, and through the power of the cross, the resurrection, and his abiding spirit at work in us, the Lord takes all of that and makes our lives victorious, unbeatable, more than conquerors over death itself. We gotta quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. We were made for more than this. We were made for more than an hour and a half of worship each week. Just a few minutes of devotional reading in the morning or at night. A couple of prayers now and then. We were made for more than this. Maod teaches us everything, every moment, every opportunity in a person's life, every ability and capacity we possess presents us with a chance to love the one who made you and me. And in so doing, blessed us to become a blessing to others and in blessing others to be blessed in return. Ask yourself this morning. Ask yourself. Me, I mean this. Don't just for effect, but let, really answer this question. What if we stopped letting fear dictate our decisions? What if we refuse to worry about the outcomes? What if we just kept asking the questions? What if we allowed ourselves to make mistakes, to fall down, and trusted Jesus to pick us back up and to help us learn along the way? What if we kept offering all of ourselves to the Lord without always counting the cost? We have a choice to make. We can remain discontent Relying on our own strength, holding on to terms, our terms and conditions in our relationship with Jesus. Or we can make an unqualified, total commitment to love Jesus, to follow him anytime, anywhere, at any cost, and to do anything 
Beloved, let's quit holding out. Let's quit holding back. Because the only way to lose with Christ is to refuse to play with all he's given us. Did you hear that? The only way you can lose with Christ is to refuse to play with all he's given us. It's time to ante up. It's time to go all in. It's time to go all out. No limits. It's time to push our chips into the middle of the table. It's time to offer not just part of who we are and what we have been given, but to let the Lord be the Lord of all that I am, embodied here and now in relationship to myself, my presence in the world, and my effect, my interaction with the community, the people the Lord has put around me. Because when we seek to live life to the fullest, it's muchness. In devotion to God with Jesus at the center, we will experience purpose and meaning beyond which we can even imagine or hope for. When we go all in, we discover a simultaneous joy and peace that we've never known, both of which endure regardless of what challenges and obstacles we encounter. When we go all in, we attain a measure of love for life, the universe, each other, our creator that has no limits, that is everlasting. Beloved, It's your call. Amen.